This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. I'm Paul Wheelock and this is the second part of a bit of a European special to see how the leading clubs on the continent are going to react to Liverpool winning the Champions League. If you missed part one, we spoke to writers who covered League One in France and the Bundesliga in Germany to see what the likes of Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund have been and will be up to this summer, as well as discuss those transfer links with Nicola Pepe, Memphis Depay, Nabil Fakir and Timo Werner. But in this podcast, we will be speaking to Sam Simon Harrison, a Spanish football expert who writes about La Liga for BT Sport and the I newspaper. He'll let us know all about the fallout from Barcelona's humbling in Anfield, Real Madrid's incredible spending spree that's showing no signs of stopping yet, and how it is an end of an era for Atletico Madrid. But we'll start by speaking to Italian football writer John Solano, who is the editor of the excellent RomaPress.net website. Now, John got Liverpool fans very excited with what he had to say about Alison Becker prior to his arrival at Anfield in July in a podcast we did back then, and he was absolutely spot on with everything he had to say about the goalkeeper. So naturally, we started our conversation by talking about Alison before we moved on to discuss what will be a summer of transition for Serie A's top clubs. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi, John. Great to have you back on the Blood Red podcast. Uh, hope you're well and looking forward to the end of the season break. Thanks, Paul. Great, uh, great to be back. Yeah, um, it, it's been a very chaotic season, uh, especially in the city. Uh, it's been been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, we will come to that in a moment, but people will remember you from the first time we spoke, probably just over or under a year ago, I should say, when we were, Liverpool were on the verge of signing Alison Becker. And I think what you said got Liverpool fans really excited. And I've got to say, it was absolutely spot on, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, he's proven money very well spent. Yeah, uh, he certainly lived up to the price tag. And if you want to look at it from a different angle, um, Roma really, really, really suffered from the departure of Alisson. And I can't think of a bigger weak spot in the Roma side than the goalkeeper. So uh, Roma's loss uh, was Liverpool's gain. I, I did have the opportunity to watch him quite a bit. And... He really seemed to grow a little bit, as I initially thought. I, I, I thought he would need some time to adapt to a different league, different style, um, obviously a bit more physical. But we saw the similar game from him, in my opinion, that we saw in Serie A at Roma. And as I, as I said about a year ago, as you mentioned, um, I thought he was in the top five goalkeepers in the world after only uh, one full season at Roma. And I really do think he fulfilled that at Liverpool, uh, helping lead them to the Champions League. And I think he's been brilliant. I, I still maintain he, he you could easily make the case. He's one of the two best goalkeepers in the world. And I, I, I'm, I'm happy for him because he's a nice guy. Um, he deserves it. And I, I'm happy to see him doing well outside of Roma. Yeah, and the, the summer before that, it was Mohamed Salah. And I remember reading a, an article you did with the official website. And again, you gave a, a really good write-up to him and really you know, it laid the seed for, for what followed the this, this season after. So I suppose the question is, do we expect a, a third world-class player heading from Stadio Olimpico to Anfield this summer? <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm just glad you didn't. Uh, we didn't speak when Aquilani made the move. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> um, but I think uh, Roma old Liverpool a couple because I, I thought Equilani and Borini uh, were really two 
poor moves uh, from uh, Roma to Liverpool, who I thought uh, would do really well, especially the first Aquilani. Um, when he initially moved, I, I, I thought it was uh, very foolish for uh, for Roma to sell him, but they, they, they sold him for big money at the time. Uh, he struggled. Borini, oh, he, he never really got off the ground there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's very known by now, Roma, uh, they do have that ability to 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 develop players. Um, I mean, if if you're a Roma supporter, obviously you would like to see them potentially not selling some of these names so soon. Um, but that's the that's the position the club are in now. Uh, so when when a club comes with a huge money offer, uh, it's difficult for them to say no. We will get to Roma in a moment because uh, it sounds like you've had your hands full <laughs> this season, to say the least. But <laughs> sure. firstly, just a more general overview of Serie A and the, the four clubs who have qualified for next season's Champions League, which Liverpool will obviously be looking to defend. Are, are we expecting a, a busy summer for the leading Italian sides? Yeah, it's it's really going to be um, a summer of transition. Uh, obviously, we saw Allegri leaving Juve. Um, we have Conte coming to Inter. We have Roma, Milan. They're going to have new managers. So uh, four of the top uh, six sides are really going to be going through a big transition. And it's interesting because um, Juve is the most uh, particular situation for me because I, for from my point of view, I, I thought getting... Uh, deciding to divorce uh, Allegri was not maybe the smartest move mm-hmm. because I, I don't see many viable options out there. Um, here, many of them keep, uh, many uh, in the media keep maintaining that this the, this link with, with Pep is legitimate. I just don't see it happening. The other option is Maurizio Sarri, who, from my point of view, just is not a good fit at Juve whatsoever. Um both on and off the pitch. I mean, Chelsea fans can attest he's a very uh, different type of guy, <laughs> and he does the he does not, in my opinion, fit the uh, the buttoned up uh, the business type of culture that Juve have. They're they're run like a like a very corporate entity and you have this uh you have this guy Sarri who wears trainers and smokes <laughs> reds on on the sidelines uh i for me just cultural for, from a cultural point of view uh i just don't think that's a good fit so i really think juve have backed themselves into a corner here um perhaps they could pry pochettino maybe um i just don't know i i think what they did maybe they overplayed their hand a little bit I think keeping Allegri would have been the smart move. Um, and then going down the table a little bit, you have Inter, who they needed to finish in a Champions League place. They did so. Um, and then the opportunity to to sign Antonio Conte arrived. They signed him. And I think that's a brilliant move. Now, I think a lot of the pieces that were in the team do not fit his football. I mean, we all know how he likes to play. Mm-hmm. He likes to play with three at the back. Um, two strikers up front. I, I, I don't think they have the pieces currently there. Um, I mean, one of the big names there, uh, Maricardi, is linked with a move away. So we're seeing all this transition. And then obviously you have Milan, who failed to uh, finish in a Champions League place. And they, they needed to because they were having these financial issues. Um, their new CEO, which many will be familiar with, Gazidis, yeah. um, he's really overhauling the side now because 
uh, again, they have these financial issues and they need to, uh, they can't splash the, the money that we've seen them do in recent years. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting summer, very interesting summer. It's um, both, both from a, a player trading standpoint as well as a managerial standpoint. Um, Roma have their new manager. Milan don't have their new manager. Uh, Juve don't have their new manager. And uh, it's almost, uh, it's, I mean, it's the middle of June. So um, they're really going to have to work quickly here. Do you think, given that, I wouldn't say Juventus are in a state of flux, but as you rightly say, you know, we're probably three, four weeks away from pre-season and the manager isn't in place. Do you think this may give the other clubs, the chasing pack, a, a chance to, to end their like domestic dominance? I think it's going to be very difficult. I, I, I do think that this window here, Juve have a, a very clear window. Obviously, the, the big factor is the ages of the likes of Chiellini, Bonucci, Ronaldo. Uh, they're in their early 30s. I, I think they have this window here of two to three years where I, I don't see anybody being able to knock them off of the um, the the top of the city. I think it's going to be very difficult. Maybe uh, we can see the likes of Napoli take a step up. They were going through a year of transition with Ancelotti, with uh, ha- uh, having lost Sarri to Chelsea. Um, obviously, they'll have a, another full summer to get comfortable with Ancelotti, learn his football a little more. But I just think Juve are just such a well-oiled machine that. From a domestic point of view, I think it's very difficult for any of the sides in the city uh, to knock them off. I think it would take something spectacular to do so. I mean, we've seen in recent years, uh, Roma have broken their uh, points record. Napoli mm-hmm. have broken their points record. And you have all these clubs performing. Um, it, 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 had it been any other season, um, by all accounts, it would be spectacular. But then you have this this Juve machine who just continues to run and run and run and win. And again, you have Napoli, you have Roma who are breaking their, their all time record for points in a season and they still can't manage to win the Scudetto. So um, I, I think, as I said, it's going to take something uh, very extraordinary to knock Juve off the pedestal, which is not something I see um, because even if Juve get a manager worse than Allegri, I just think that the talent they have is just uh, too difficult to overcome. How much of a disappointment was it then to getting knocked out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League for, for Juventus? Because certainly when they signed Ronaldo, I remember speaking on another podcast we did and you were saying his his arrival is to try and win that, that, that trophy. And, you know, did that lead to Allegri's departure or have an influence in it? You know, surely they thought this could be their year, given the fact that, you know, uh, as we've seen in the semifinals, Barcelona eventually went out, Real Madrid left early. Did, was there a, a massive, you know, a feeling of frustration around the club? Oh, absolutely. Uh, U.S. supporters, I think at this point, are really, um, <laughs> it goes to show, uh, you know, you just have some factions of, of supporters that are a bit spoiled. But I, I think, honestly, they're tired of just having the domestic success. <laughs> no bad want situation to, to be in, is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I think they are truly tired of just winning the Scudetto season after season. And they do want to see this team make the next step. Now, Obviously, going out to Ajax uh, was a huge disappointment, um, but we saw what Ajax did so um, in the Champions League this season. So I, I wouldn't call it a massive 
a, a huge disappointment given how well they performed. But um, I mean, for Juve this season, it really was Champions League uh, or nothing, and they failed. And I, I, I do think that that had a big influence on Allegri's decision and Juve's decision to find this mutual understanding that it's better that they each go their separate ways. For me, though, with Allegri, it seemed more just like the end of a cycle. Um, He arrived with a lot of criticism at Juve. Uh, Antonio Conte quit very abruptly. Uh, They were left reeling a bit, and many criticized their, their decision to hire Allegri and by all accounts, I mean, if you just take the entire uh, the CV of Allegri, uh, he did well. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, at this point, uh, Juve supporters they they are just not happy with the city. Ah, they want they want that success in the Champions League, and I, I do think that it's something with Allegri's decision. And uh, Juve have to find again. I I don't know who they can bring in um, that is better than Allegri. I mean, if you just weigh up uh, Allegri's uh, trophy cabinet versus others, I, I would assume the, the, the replacement is going to come in with a less full trophy cabinet than Allegri. So a bit of a risk. Um, I just don't know which direction they're looking. It, it's difficult to understand um, where they can go from here because I, I, I think it's a huge, huge risk to depart, uh, to, to let Allegri depart because, again, um, Say what you want about his success in the Champions League. I, I mean, this run that they have had in the Serie A is historic, mm-hmm. and Allegri had a lot to do with that. So, um, I, I'm curious to see where they go. But I, I as as you asked, I, I do think that the lack of success in the Champions League um, did have something to do with uh, his departure. Yes. Just moving away from Juve, you've mentioned that. Napoli are in the Champions League, Inter are in the Champions League, and the, and the, the fourth team, maybe casual observers of Serie A may not be uh, quite aware of what they've achieved, was Atalanta, you know, a side we've seen on Merseyside not too long ago, really putting Everton to the sword in the Europa League, but next year they'll be in the biggest competition of all. How, how good a story is that? It's a fantastic story. It's an absolutely fantastic story. Now, now I have to be honest, I, I, I do think that them, uh, having qualified for the Champions League, has a lot to do with the the major flaws that were in Milan and the Roma sides yeah. this season. But as they say, the table never lies. So Atalanta absolutely deserved to be in the Champions League. It's a fantastic story. I mean, anyone who doesn't you know doesn't know them very well, they're a club based in Bergamo, uh, a very very passionate fan base, very very fiery supporters. Um, it's a very difficult stadium to play at and. Listen, uh, their manager, he's a guy who maybe before this season was really only known outside of the city off for having uh, failed at Inter. I, I believe he was only there for four matches before they, they gave him the sack. Um, Giampiero Gasparini, he plays a very distinct type of football. He, he plays it wherever he goes. It doesn't matter if you have a team that's set up to play four at the back. He doesn't care. He plays with a 3-4-3, sometimes a 3-4-2-1 three four one two and it's very very fast he loves to utilize the flanks uh very very attacking the press that they uh, the press that they do is just incredible um 
the, the fact that they're able to maintain this level of energy for all 90 minutes is is really a thing to watch. And I, I'm excited for those outside of Italy to get the chance to see them because they are a very unique side. Um, now, they're not used to playing in the Champions League, obviously. This is something new for them. Uh, obviously, they're only used to playing in Italy, but... We're going to have to see how they handle this. Um, for me, one of their biggest flaws was they did not have a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have very important names like Papu Gomez, Josep Ilicic, Duvan Zabata. Um, and these are very strong players who maybe are not well known outside of the Serie A. But I think what they're really going to have to do is is take the winnings that they're going to get from participating in the Champions League. And they're really going to have to invest, which was my 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 fear about them having qualified for the Champions League over the likes of Milan or Roma. I, I was worried that maybe Atalanta wouldn't um, commit financially to doing well in the Champions League up to now. Uh, we really only see them linked uh, with big sales, such as Duran Zapata, who Napoli want to bring back. So it's um, it, it will be interesting to see how they do. Um, as you mentioned, they, they did very well in the Europa League recently. Um, I, I do worry that, again, they're not going to invest properly in the squad. But I, I am excited for, for people... Um, outside of the 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 folks who, who who watch the city uh to get a chance to watch them because they're a very unique side a very particular side they play a very particular brand of football very quick very fast very attack minded and uh it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle it yeah, it'd be quite a new name for Liverpool to take on, but maybe in the group stages we will find out. But one team you've mentioned there, Liverpool won't be facing next season in the Champions League is Roma, which may come as a bit of a surprise given the people, given the thrilling semi-final ties between the the clubs the season before last. You know, but as you said there, it sounds like it's been a bit of a roller coaster season. It, it has, it really has. Um, it, you know, after having watched them come uh, just one goal away from a Champions League final. I mean, naturally, you would assume Roma would build on that success. But uh, my goodness, I I don't think it could have gone any worse. Um, A lot of people will look for an alibi as to what went wrong this season. A lot of people will blame uh, the manager, Eusebio Di Francesco, who was sacked in March. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will blame the sporting director, Ramon Monchi, who uh, followed Di Francesco out the exit door uh, about 48 hours after he left. Um, For me, it was really a mix of everything. As I mentioned earlier, uh, they lost Alisson and they replaced him with uh, Swedish national goalkeeper Robin Olsen, who was nothing short of a nightmare. Absolutely uh, terrible. can't think just in terms of all of City A, just a bigger gulf in quality um, between an outgoing player and an incoming player. Um, the difference was absolutely dramatic. I, you know, when we initially spoke uh, about Alisson, I think I said he probably got Roma on his own, maybe 10 or yeah, 11 points. I remember you saying um, that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, only half of those this season would have gotten Roma into the Champions League. So it just shows you um, how much a, a world-class goalkeeper can do for you. It, it, he, he really did make up for Roma's flaws in other areas um, that Olsen just wasn't able to do. And you put that, uh, you add to the individual errors that he had. 
and it, it was just an absolute nightmare. Nightmare, and now Roma, um, they forced themselves into this position where uh, they're going to have to spend big this this summer on a goalkeeper. And I, I think one of the names that we'll have to watch is Alessio Cranio of Cagliari, who is one of the, the up-and-coming uh, names on the Italian national side. A lot of people know uh, Donnarumma of Milan, uh, but Cranio is one to watch. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of Roma's struggles this season had a lot to do with uh, their transfer market. I mean, even if you watched only Roma once last season when they were in the Champions League, uh, they played a 4-3-3. And uh, this past summer, uh, Monchi brought in players who just do not fit a 4-3-3. Uh, they could have had uh, Kim Zayek of Ajax, uh, but they chose not to close that deal because Monchi wanted to bring in Javier Pastore from PSG, which, wow, uh, all you had to do was watch the Champions League once this season. <laughs> um, and you would know that uh, Zayek is one of the most uh, yeah, exciting players, uh, great player. Um, whereas Pastore went almost seven months in between starts. Uh, he started uh, against, against Lazio in September, and then he didn't start again for Roma uh, until March. Uh, he was out with injuries. He had terrible performances. And again, uh, it just goes to show that uh, the, decision, the decisions they've made this summer have really, really affected them. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Monchi. And he left abruptly because he wanted uh, Roma to keep their manager. Uh, the president, James Palotta, decided to sack Di Francesco. And Monchi said, well, if you're going to sack him, I'm following him because I, I don't want him to leave. My decision is for him to stay. Um, but uh, Palotta overruled Monchi and uh, Monchi followed out the door. And it's um, it, it, it's been nothing short of a nightmare for Roma this season. Um between, again, the, the poor transfer market, uh, the poor play on the pitch, um, there's just no nobody who can escape blame. And Roma, they have their financial issues. Uh, they were in the crosshairs of financial fair play uh, up until last summer. And now they, they won't be getting the money from the Champions League. And they find themselves in a very uh, peculiar position because I, I think we're going to see the likes of Edin Dzeko, uh, Kolarov, uh, maybe even Steven and Zonzi all leave the club. And I think we'll see them hand big money to uh, some of their younger players, uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini, Nicolo Zaniolo, who everybody seems to want now because he had a fantastic season. And um, they're really going to have to find a way to get back into the Champions League because from a financial point of view, uh, Roma cannot sustain being out of the Champions League for two seasons in a row. They're going to find it difficult being out just this season. So if they fail to qualify for the top four um, and their new manager, Paolo Fonseca, cannot carry them into the Champions League, uh, they're, they're going to have a big, big problem, huge problem, I think. So another club in a, a state of transition. Do you think it leads me to my final question? I know the Champions League, one of the great things about it is how random it can be and how unexpected. We've seen some of the games, Liverpool, Barca, uh, Tottenham, Ajax. You know, there's been so many examples in, in this season's competition. But do you think there's a chance for Liverpool, having seen their developments over the over these last couple of seasons, that they could actually be going for it again, do a Real Madrid and win it again, or at least be in a, a position to challenge again? Oh, of course. Um I, having watched them up close last year, um, I, I just thought, wow, um, 
this uh, this team is so well drilled. They're quick. Uh, like I said with the Atalanta, I mean the pace that they play with for 90 minutes is is almost uh, you get tired from watching them. It, it's absolutely incredible to watch the pace that they play with, um, and they just give everybody so much trouble. And and frankly, the thing I like most about them is uh, no matter who they come up against, they they no matter how you play tactically, no matter if you like to sit back, um, if if they have to play on the counter. I, I just like the way they, they can play d- differently uh, depending on the opponent. And I think that's what makes them one of the most dangerous sides in all of Europe. So it would not surprise me even in the slightest if they won the Champions League again. Um, I mean, we saw what they've done uh, for the last two seasons. And it's just difficult for me, particularly in attack, to find uh, any side who can really uh, curb them and, and get them uncomfortable. They always seem to be willing to play their style, uh, regardless of what you do to them. And again, whether or not they, they have to play a bit on the counter, they're fine with that. And that's the thing that really strikes me about them. Klopp has them so well drilled. Um, that is the thing that thoroughly impressed me about them. Um, you know, and just watching them against Roma, um, I was really, really impressed at just how quickly at the uh, at the drop of a pin they can just put you in so much danger um, in a situation where it doesn't look like they're they're going to score a goal. Um, just they can turn it in a second uh, and put a team in danger. So it, it would not surprise me at all if they were to. Uh, do it again next season. In fact, in my opinion, uh, given what we've seen from the other clubs, uh, the bigger teams throughout Europe, I, I would make them my favorite. Um, Barcelona haven't really impressed me what they've done uh, this summer. PSG, Juve, uh, City. I mean, up until now, uh, I don't think they've managed to tip the scale in any way. So for me, uh, as of right now, Liverpool are absolutely my favorite uh, for next season in the Champions League. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Thank you very much for John's insight there. Now it's time for my conversation with Spanish football writer Simon Harrison. Can Barcelona and Real Madrid hit back and wrestle the Champions League trophy out of Liverpool's hands next season? Well, it sounds like they're certainly throwing money at it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi, Simon. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast and looking forward to what looks like a very busy summer for the, La Liga, for the leading La Liga clubs. Yeah, I mean, uh, pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it must have been a good sort of good few years now since there's been sort of this much money spent and this much intention shown to just improve massively over a matter of months because I think a couple of clubs, they were kind of happy where they were maybe three years ago. And now it's kind of, for a couple of clubs, I mean, especially the Madrid clubs, um, it is a question of where do we go to next and how much money do we need to spend to actually make that happen. We'll start with Barcelona, though, before we get on to Real and, and Atletico, just because they are the La Liga winners for the second year in a row. And, but in a way, is, is everything that happened this season being overshadowed by what like Liverpool did to them in that you know that incredible semi-final second leg at Anfield? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I don't think that Lionel Messi maybe helped things too much, given that at the start of last season, uh, when they sort of opened the season up and they would speak to the fans, uh, Messi made it quite clear that the cup that they wanted to win was the Champions League and obviously when you come back empty-handed from that competition 
you know, that's where the big questions are because you build the fans up to believe that this is what you want. I think as a fan, it's probably easier to believe that you are going to win the Champions League when Lionel Messi tells you that he wants yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they did very well in the league. Uh, very, very consistent. Um, they had a few defensive problems at the start. They managed to sort of uh, slide out of those. They had a few issues, I suppose, with underperforming players. I mean, Felipe Coutinho, Liverpool being one of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they... I suppose the Copa del Rey uh, defeat against Valencia, that was maybe a little bit embarrassing at the same time. Um, all in all, I mean, the, the league's fine, but they've they've been very consistent in the league for a while now. Um, that isn't really the cup that they want to win. The cup they want to win is the Champions League. That's obviously the cup that Real Madrid won three times in a row. And it really feels as though if Barcelona wants to have any kind of, you know, a new legacy, a new golden era, they need to be embarking on trying to do the same thing. And obviously with clubs um, like Liverpool, with clubs like Manchester City, it becomes very, very difficult to do that. And obviously it comes down to one particular night, one particular moment, one particular performance. And Ernesto Valverde, the coach, he's taken a lot of flack, mm-hmm. which I think is a little bit fair really because he's doing an okay job but there is the sense that maybe they need to bring in someone else bring in some new ideas revert maybe back to how they used to play in the Guardiola era I mean uh, Xavi he's just retired he's just moving into management himself he's been quite vocal in saying Barcelona seems we're trained and brought through to have possession that's how we should be playing we should be looking after the ball and and Valverde is maybe a little bit more realistic a, a little bit more reserved um and, and and yeah, it just doesn't maybe quite feel like Barcelona. And and the issue with that is that, yes, they've done well in the league. Uh, yes, they've been competitive in the Cup. Yes, they did very well in the Champions League up until that fateful night and that complete, you know, implosion as they did the year before against Roma. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just sort of the manner of winning certain things now comes into, you know, comes into view. And also the fact that they they'd lost um, in, the, in those sort of, circumstances against Roma in the Champions League they then follow it up by doing the same uh, against Liverpool and, and the question really is well what have we learned over the course of a year what needs to change um, and, and there's a bit of uncertainty there as a result I think it doesn't look like the manager will change just yet anyway Valverde despite that pressure but it does look like even if he remains the squad's going to change I think Frankie de Jong's been done hasn't he the brilliant Ajax midfield in, in the, the last couple of days in the mid, uh, in the media over here and obviously in Spain as well it looks like Antoine Griezmann is going to make the move from Atletico Yeah I mean I think de Jong everyone who had a television or a laptop last season can appreciate <laughs> how good he is because even if you didn't catch the games you'll have caught some compilations or clips or you know and, and he is just this sort of Obviously, coming from Ajax, the the link with the style of football played there to the style of football that you get when you get when you're brought through La Masia and the academy in Barcelona, you know he is the, a Barcelona style player, and I think that a lot of people are excited to see how he fits in. Um, obviously, to a time where maybe a few of a few players such as Rakitic or Busquets, they're they're not by any means sort of they're not over the hill by any means, but they are sort of getting into the twilight of their career. So it's important to get in players like De Jong. Um, I mean, Griezmann coming in, I think he's um, a very, very good signing. Maybe it's a little bit overshadowed by the fact that Real Madrid managed to pick up Hazard for yeah. cheaper. Um, but obviously with Griezmann, he's made a fuss about the fact he's wanted to move and challenge for new trophies and, and be maybe in a different kind of adventure for a while. Um, with them securing his signature for, you know, sort of that 120, 130 million euro mark, um, it's obviously quite a bit to pay. But, you know, he's a World Cup winner. Uh, at Atletico, he's been vital for them um, ever since joining from Real Sociedad, where he was very, very good. 
as well. He's just sort of taken up more responsibility. He's more well-rounded now. He's had to play different roles for club and country, so he's quite versatile. And I think that when you look at the fact that, you know, you've got Messi out on the right-hand side, Luis Suarez is still going to be good for, you know, another season or two up top. Um, you, you kind of got the left-hand side that's been, it's been questionable for Barcelona. They've had Usman Dembele um, brought in and, you know, he was quite expensive, obviously quite still extremely young and he's got a lot of potential, but there's a lot of questions about his mentality. Uh, why does he come to training late? Why maybe isn't he following his diet as closely as he should? And then you've got Coutinho, who obviously was brought in for really considering, well, if that deal had happened this summer, then you would think, OK, that's a fee that's in keeping with, you know, the trend of, of transfers across yeah. Europe. But really, that sort of 150 million euros is just, it looks more absurd by the by the day, mm-hmm. really. Um, and, and he just hasn't quite been able to get the fans on side. He hasn't quite been able to get that consistency going. So Griezmann can kind of come in and think, right, well, I'll, I can I can offer something from the left hand side. That's somewhere that he offered um, good form for Real Sociedad. Uh, at Atleti, you show that he can play centrally, he can play off the striker, he can lead the line, he can work hard. He's just all round a very very good player. And also, I think he's got that winning mentality and that ambitious mentality to keep winning more. Um, so I think he's a really, really good signing. The price is decent as well. Um, but I think that sort of the bigger questions for them are just sort of tying up maybe uh, another left back to come in and play in behind Jordi Alba just to make sure they've got enough cover there. But aside from that, I mean, it, you're not going to get too much of an improvement out of this squad without spending, you know, the kind of crazy money that Real Madrid are. Before we get to Real Madrid, I've just got to follow up a question on Coutinho. Does it look like his time at the Camp Nou's over? Is he, is he going to be sold this summer and maybe come back to England? I mean, I, I think that if there was anywhere that he would go, it wouldn't really make sense in terms of going to England. I always wondered whether, you know, with Hazard going um, to Real Madrid, does that open up a position maybe for a player like Coutinho to, to fit in somewhere like at Chelsea? But obviously that depends on one, is Sarri going to be the coach moving mm-hmm. forward? And two, is that transfer ban going to be upheld or are they going to get an appeal and a chance to delay it? Um, because, you know, that's that, that's a team that needs sort of a, con- a, a conductor. It needs someone to create. It needs someone to chip in goals from midfield as well. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think that Barca would necessarily be in a rush to get rid of him because if they were to sell him, there's no way that they wouldn't be taking a big loss because no. he's not proven himself to be the player for the price that they paid and, and for that reason maybe he gets a reprieve and, and maybe they would look at um, potentially moving on someone like Isman Dembele because even though he's extremely two-footed he's quick he's talented he's, he's younger um, at the same time he hasn't quite bedded in as he would have liked um, the stories in the media about you know things that he's done off the pitch don't really help things out too much and it just doesn't really seem like he's the kind of player given that he's quite uh, maverick and skillful um, although you know these players are great to bring off the bench Ernesto Valverde isn't the kind of coach that wants to put players out there and let them do their own thing I think the system comes first and then everything else comes after and I think that with a player like Griezmann you also do get that tactical awareness he does work hard um, I think the Coutinho as well he wants to work hard he wants to prove himself but it's just with maybe with Griezmann coming in that, that one of Coutinho or Dembele has to go and I think if I had to choose one to go even though he's a fantastic player and wherever he would leave and go to, we'll be very lucky to have him, but maybe Dembele would be the wow. one to, to go before Coutinho. But, you know, we'll see how that one pans out. Interesting. It's been more about the incomings of Real Madrid, as you've mentioned. I think it's five big money signings they've all already made. They looked they looked like the end of the cycle, end of an era in the Champions League this, this season after winning the trophy three times on the run. But they're certainly trying to freshen it up at the moment, aren't they? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, club president Florentino Perez, he said, well, when things don't go well, you have to react. And I don't think anyone's going to accuse him of not reacting because, I mean, the money they've spent is crazy. Um, they've already sort of paid um, just above $300 million at this point already. And it's good that, obviously, they're getting their business done early. It gives Zidane a chance to, to have a look at everything, uh, to get his plans in order. And really, I think the moment where he accepted that he would return to the Bernabeu and he would be the manager again, I am sure that Florentino Perez would have given him a certain amount of money to play with and a certain list of names that they would be bringing him for him. Because, as you said, I mean, it was really felt that, that Real Madrid were... They, they needed something new. They tried to get that with Lopetegui, who's obviously... Uh, having worked with Spain and then worked all the way through Spain's youth ranks. Um, you know, he had a good track record of working with young players. It's something that he tried to do. He wasn't given enough time to do. I, I think that although some performances were poor, maybe he was a little bit unfortunate uh, not to get a little bit longer because, I mean, the, the club transfer policy, they were bringing in younger players. So uh, Marco Asensio, Dani Ceballos, Jesus Vallejo, Alvaro Adriazola. Uh, they were giving players from you know the academy a chance. I mean, there's been Marcos Llorente involved, Federico Valverde, um, Sergio Regulon has been good at left back over the last sort of six months or so when Marcelo wasn't performing. Um, so I mean, there's it's kind of now gone from okay, so we, we had a good squad, we were winning trophies, so we tried to bring in young players that could supplement that and look to build for the future. And really, the steam's kind of run out. So what they're having to do is throw a load more fuel on the fire, get going again, and then see if they can, you know, incorporate some of these younger players. Because there's no doubt that the young players are talented, but they can't, you know, they, they can't hit the expectations of Real Madrid, you know, as it stands. Um, but I think in terms of the deal that they've done, I mean, no, no one can can argue that the quality is 100% there. Um, even though they spent over 300 million, I mean, it's been spent on good players. Eden Hazard, I think that really, when you're talking sort of top three attackers in the world, he's got to be in the equation. He's yeah, just been absurdly good. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the likes of Luka Jovic, obviously, maybe slightly more of a gamble. Um, been highly regarded for a while, even when he was back playing in Serbia. But now, as he last season scoring, you know, getting up towards the 30 goal mark for Frankfurt across multiple competitions. Uh, Philan Mendy's come in, who should be Marcelo's long term heir. Uh, you've got Eden Militao coming in as an extra centre-half. And then also players maybe that didn't show enough of themselves last season. The likes of Bale, uh, the likes of Isco, who didn't get much of a chance. Um, the, these players can can maybe look to prove themselves once again because it's a fresh start. Zidane's starting out with a new campaign. Uh, he's shown that you know he does have quite a bit of loyalty to the players that won him those trophies in the past. So all in all, I think that they've spent a lot of money, but they've brought in a lot of talent. Um, and, and it's just looking exciting. I don't know whether it's looking particularly good yet, <laughs> but it's exciting and there's no, there's no denying that. I'm sure Liverpool fans will be glad to see the back of Eden Hazard given his performances for Chelsea in the games between the sides over these last six, seven, eight years. But is there going to be a further boost for Liverpool, you know, in the fact that Real have been linked with Christian Eriksen at Tottenham and there's still the reports of Paul Pogba of Manchester United if either of those teams was to lose those players, they'd be significantly weakened. Do you think Real will come back and take another Premier League star? I mean, I could easily see it happening. I mean, they, they've got quite a bloated squad at the minute, really. They, they've got some uh, younger players that they've brought over the last few years who maybe haven't got as much game time as they might like. And, and one of those players would be Danny Ceballos, um, signed from Betis, sort of a talisman almost for Betis, blooded into the team, after, well, just before and then while they were relegated in, in the second division. Um, 
he, he was sort of the, the player of the tournament at the under-21 Euros back in uh, 2017. And it was kind of expected that once, you know, time for Real Madrid, he was just going to explode. But he just hasn't had the minutes to do it. And, and, and I mean, I've seen reports linking him with, with, say, Spurs. And I think that he'd be a great player to go. And, and I think he would suit the Premier League. He's quite a hungry player. He He's ambitious. He likes to grab games by the scruff of the neck and make things happen. But he's also extremely talented as well. Um, but I think one of the, a player like Sabayas would probably have to leave to maybe leave a bit of space for mm-hmm. someone uh, such as Ericsson to come in. I think that given that it, it is kind of a spend a lot of money, get short-term results, give Zidane the best squad that he possibly can um, as of you know sort of the, the start of next season, that we could well see you know a, a more experienced midfielder come in and, and be ready to contribute straight away. Ericsson has said while he's been on international duty that he would be open to a new challenge if something arose. And I think someone making a comment like that, it, it, I mean, it's got to be sort of a, a red rag to a bull in terms yeah. of when you're trying to rebuild and you want some good experience, um, some good experience creativity in a side. Um, so I think that could be interesting. But I mentioned before, I mean, certain players such as Isco, um, you know, you've even got Gareth Bale included. They they struggled to get any momentum going last season. I mean, injuries for Bale are always a, an issue. But Isco was kind of, frozen out a little bit um, it was sort of a will he be included in a match day squad let alone be included in the actual starting 11 um, and then also I mean he'll probably move on but Hamas Rodriguez has come back from his line at Bayern so they've definitely got a lot of pieces um, and it might well be that they've got some considerable dominoes to kind of knock over before they can bring in another big star like Eriksen or Pogba with discussed Real and Barcelona at length and, and no doubt both of them and particularly Real will be stronger next season domestically and in, in the Champions League but what about Atletico then you know we've, we've talked there about um, losing Griezmann to Barcelona I think Luca Hernandez has gone to Bayern it sounds I know you've done reports yourself mate on Manchester City looking at Rodri the midfielder and, and it sounds like they also need a completely new back four it's it's big big t- change in times with Atletico Definitely. I mean, I think when you look at the, the the top three from last season, I think you can see that with Barca, they've, they've kept things quite stable. Adding Griezmann is just a really nice extra addition to offer some more goals and just some more creativity. Uh, you look at Real Madrid, they're spending a lot of money, but that's quite an unstable situation. You don't know how things are going to gel there. Um, but they do have kind of the core still remaining of players that, you know, enjoyed success under Zidane. Um, when you look at Atletico, it was kind of a question of whether, you know, would Simeone stay around or, or would he maybe look and, and get a new job elsewhere? And during last season, you know, he, he, he signed a new deal, uh, showed his commitment. People may be wondering, does it need a breath of fresh air? Does, do we need something different? Um, but to be honest, I mean, Simeone is probably the best manager to have given the situation that they are now currently in because they need some kind of stability and they need some kind of system to play from. Um, because, you know, I think that really in terms of individuals and individual talent, they're, they're not going to be quite up there, I don't think, next season. Um, it's going to be quite difficult. I mean, you've mentioned that they've got the likes of uh, Juan Fran, Gaudin, Felipe Luis, all these kind of players that are leaving that are very experienced. Um, I think probably out of those, given that, well, all three of those have been on a decline over the last year or so, the biggest loss for me is probably Luca Hernandez because he can play at left back, he can play at centre back. He's just an extremely, extremely good player and Bayern have got themselves a really, really good deal there. I think given the fact that he's still only 23, he's versatile, he's a World Cup winner. You know, he's kind of just whatever challenge he's been thrown into, he's sort of adapted to it and, and come out looking extremely good and, and far better than his brother, it must be said. Um, <laughs> 
but but yeah, it does feel as though that there's just so much uncertainty there. I mean, they need to piece together a new unit. They've, they've brought in uh, Felipe uh, from Porto for around eighteen million pounds, um, but he's thirty, so it's kind of a kind of a stopgap to try and get some kind of consistent, experienced head in there among some of the players. Um, I think also you mentioned Rodri might go to Manchester City, and I mean from reports in Spain, it does seem to be that you know if he wants to go. Everything has been put in place by Man City to make that happen. It is just down to the player because, I mean, he he spent a couple of years. Um, well, he's from Madrid. Then he spent a couple of years at Atletico Madrid as a youngster and was let go. Had to relocate to go and play for Villarreal, and then this was sort of an opportunity for him to come home. He, he was living with his family again. You know, Madrid is is where he's from. Uh, he's studying there. You know, it would be a massive decision to kind of uproot absolutely all of that and go to. England, but at the same time, if you're a midfielder, you're Spanish, you've got Pep Guardiola asking to go and play, and, and you can see that Fernandinho is 34. I mean, you'd be thinking, you know, this could be set up perfectly for me to have a real legacy there. So if he were to go, then I think really, really big questions come out of just exactly what are Atleti capable of. They've still got the likes of Saul, Koke, Thomas Party, all these are very, very good players. But, you know, you just lose a couple of key figures and a couple of players that really turn up and show their quality on the big occasions. And you go from having a team, as they have been for a couple of seasons now, that, you know, they've been on the same level as Real Madrid. But once this spending happens, they've lost Griezmann, they could lose Rodri, they've lost a lot of the old guard. Um, there's even reports, you know, questioning whether Oblak, he signed a new deal, but is he happy because of, you know, all the big players that they're losing? Um, so I think that at the top three, Atleti, they, they did so well to punch above their weight for a while. But to me, it kind of feels as though, you know, they'd be happy to sort of take third place next season and maybe see what they could do on a game by game, round by round basis in the Champions League. It was a season dominated in Europe by English clubs. You know, Liverpool winning the Champions League, Chelsea's Europa League for, for so many years. It was Atleti, it was, it was Real Madrid, it was Barcelona. Do you think next season is, is, is one where that, it doesn't sound Atleti, but particularly Barcelona and Real Madrid, and even could Valencia even be a surprise package who was the, the team who finished fourth in La Liga last season? Do you think they'll hit back and maybe and win one of those trophies again? I mean, um, Real Madrid, I mean, I, I, I've never seemed to quite believe after they'd won the Champions League for the first time of that run of three, it kind of felt as though, okay, they rode their luck there a little bit. Um, obviously, they had Ronaldo there to score some important goals for them. Um, they had this kind of, Zidane kind of had this mystery around him almost. Yeah. And it kind of felt as though, you know, the, the manager doesn't seem to be some kind of, he's not, well, he's not a tactical pioneer. He's not some kind of genius, but he seems to be able to get the best out of this group of players. And the question still remains, was it the group of players that he had in combination with what he could offer them? Or is it that he can get the best out of any group of players so long as they entrust in him and believe in what he wants them to do on the pitch? So it's going to be interesting to see that, you know, uh, when, when he was winning trophies, they had a very, very strong squad that kind of waned towards the end of kind of the Zidane era. And he left at the right time. I mean, he knew with stepping down, he knew that he couldn't get more out of that squad. And sticking around would have probably ended up in you know what happened to Lopetegui, which was you know thrown in, tried to use these young players, didn't really work for him, ends up being sacked, ends up with a poorer reputation, 
Uh, fortunately for Lopetegui, he's managed to get a job um, with Sevilla now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Zidane could see that this group wasn't going to do that. Now that they've got all this money put in, I think that obviously as a squad, um, if you've got Eden Hazard in your team, you've got half a chance of creating something and winning 1-0, even if you play terribly. So, I mean, they'll fancy that, you know, that they're in a far better place now to make things happen. I mean, Benzema was very good last season as well. Um, they've got players like Vinicius Jr., who... Uh, he's not going to Copa America, so he's got time to rest and recuperate because he was one of their best players last season and he was still, you know, a baby pretty much. So they've got a lot of, of, of talent there. I don't know whether they'll... I don't know whether they'll really be able to, you know, compete with the likes of Liverpool, but I think that they should be thinking, we've spent all this money, we should be trying to get to the semi-finals. Uh, I think the same goes for Barcelona. It kind of just comes down to these big moments because they've got the squad to get you know, good results against big teams. We saw that in the Champions League last season. Um, but it is just that question of, and it might plague them even more now. I mean, they've thrown away two really good results to see themselves eliminated in the last two uh, editions of the competition. Also, if they don't get off to a good start, does that mean that Valverde might go partway through the season? And then you kind of, if you have a manager go during a Champions League campaign, it is a difficult one to kind of grab the group and get them in the right direction quickly. Um, and then Atleti, I think Atleti should be out of the question, really. I think they, they, they'll go through the group stages, I think, but it would kind of, I think it would take something special for them, both in the transfer window between now and next season, and also just something special from this group of players that's been a bit weakened, uh, I, I think, to, to progress. I think they, they've got to want to get to this quarterfinals, um, but, but getting semifinals and beyond, it seems a little bit far fetched, but at the end of the day, if they do feel like third place is the best they can manage in La Liga, then maybe, you know, the eggs start getting put into the European basket rather than the domestic one. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.